That's because you wrote eight yards. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, because I wrote eight <laughs> yards. I basically read anything that's on the teleprompter. I am oh, the so anchor I can man. change it here, huh? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Oscar. <laughs> Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week we are back door covering right back into that win Wednesday feeling. Pro Bowl voting is indeed open, so make sure you vote in the popularity contest and get all your favorite Niners in. And with me this week to tell us all about how an ACL is just like an ingrown toenail, it's Rich Madrid. Hey, how's it going? It's going really, really well. Um, so did you hear the story about how Ronald Blair had someone in his apartment complex walk up to him and tell him that she knew exactly how he felt that he tore his ACL because she had an ingrown toenail? Yeah, I had to read it a few times. I thought it was going to say something different, and I just wanted to make sure that uh, I was reading what I was reading, and I just could not stop laughing. Yeah, I mean, I sprained my ankle playing ball uh, a couple weeks ago, so I know exactly how Steph Curry feels. I mean, I have a cold, so I guess... We all know how it feels. Hey, man, this is your flu game. This is officially your flu game. <laughs> uh, but it's good to have you on, Rich. You, of course, are a Niner, uh, are a writer on Niners Nation. Uh, you also write for Football Zebras. So I know that when I've got real questions, I always tweet them your way because uh, you've always got some insights. And, uh, and it's good to have you on the pod so we can talk some Niners ball. Yeah, it's great to be here, man. I'm, I've been a big fan of you guys for a long time. And uh, you guys were actually the ones that got me into a lot of the scheme stuff. Uh, you know, just how you guys break things down. It's been incredible over the last several years and I'm uh, just thrilled to be here talking to you about this this week. Well, let's jump into it, dude. Let's talk about the Cardinals offensive game plan because it really was a game plan that gave the 49ers fits this week. And really I thought that Cliff Kingsbury did a great job of attacking the 49ers edges of that defense because it really had the net effect of really neutralizing that 49ers rush. You look at the way they opened the game and they started with crack toss, which is basically going to be the the kryptonite for the 49ers in run yeah. defense way and i mean it seems like they get hit with one of those every single game where you're going to have the wide receiver coming down the line of scrimmage you know kind of crack backing or, or crack blocking one of the edge defenders and then just get a sweep around it and, and you know it started there and it just kind of rumbled down the field and and the the cardinals were able to get 16 points up on the 49ers in the blink of an eye yeah and this is something we've seen the last several weeks um, especially with the cardinals is the teams attacking the edges of the 49ers defense. I don't think anyone really wants to go at that five or six man front, you know, with the really good players that they have up there, but they hit them with toss. They hit them with bubble screens, jailbreak screens and things like that. And the 49ers really just in the first two drives have no answers for it. Yeah. Those wide receiver screens, man. So what's funny is in the, in the first game, you see the Cardinals come out and they do a lot of running back screens. But then in week two, you think to yourself, okay, are they going to come with the same script? And they do come at you with screens, but they were wide receiver screens. And they really did attack the 49ers zone defense really well because the Niners are susceptible to that bubble screen when the Cardinals motion to five wide. So what happened pretty early in the game is that the Cardinals are in a three by two. And if they're not in man, uh, man coverage, the safety is over the number three receiver on the three receiver side. But he's got to play off. He's playing a good 10 yards off. And at that point, the bubble is easy money because that receiver basically runs towards the sideline. He's got two blockers 
And the safety who's covering that wide receiver effectively has to get through a bunch of trash, has to go over the other two corners. And it's a pretty easy couple of yards, which the Cardinals utilize to get a couple of first downs on that drive. And I mean, you also saw tunnel screens from the Cardinals. They were really throwing everything screen wise from a wide receiver's perspective to get at the 49ers. And it worked early. Yeah. So they they really hit him with the, uh, you know, the screens on the edge and you know, the, the, the defenders out there, they're really, they play really well. Um, I don't think after that, I don't think they really had any success with a lot of those screens. You know, then we kind of saw them get hit with the zone read and things like that. Yeah. So tell me a bit more about that zone read because the Niners got hit with that. I mean, you knew it was coming. You knew Kyler Murray was going to do some kind of a zone read. They had some success with it. Of course, the first week the Niners played the Cardinals, but now you've got Kyler Murray running. He had a really, really long scamper in the game on that zone read. How did the Niners defend the zone read and, and how might they defend it better? This is where having or not having Quan Alexander really hurts them. They I think they played it really well in some spots. You know, they still had the scraping linebacker over the top. But Kyler Murray, I mean, even on one play where Buckner chased the um chased the running back down and Dre Greenlaw was right there. I think this was in the first quarter. You know, Kyler Murray puts on the brakes and kind of jukes him a bit and Dre Green, or Greenlaw had nowhere to go. He just didn't know what to do. And Kyler Murray, I think picked up, you know, six or seven yards on that run. So I think they had the right idea. I just, every team that they've played going, probably going back to the Panthers when I first started noticing it is they just, they had no answer even with the scraping linebacker over the top. And when they would chase down the, the zone read plus, you know, I think Nick Bosa is a little aggressive in that regard too, when they run it at his end. So They've got to figure out something quick because the Packers coming up, they don't run them, you know, they don't run zone read or anything like to the effect that anyone else does, like the Seahawks or the Cardinals. But they will get out on the edge with Rodgers and some of those running backs and the quick receivers they have. So they've got to figure something out. Yeah, you know, there really is two or there really are two ways that a team can try to defend against the zone read. And the Niners tried both this game. First, of course, is exactly what you're describing, where you effectively exchange gaps, where the defensive end kind of crashes down, forces the keep read, but then you've got a linebacker scraping over the top, or sometimes even a safety scrape over the top. And the Niners even tried that with Jimmy Ward, actually exchanging a gap with the edge defender. The other is where you see the defensive end squeeze down and kind of like, you know, kind of split the difference and be like, I don't know, I'm not going to go anywhere, but just wait until the, the quarterback declares and then go after whomever it is that keeps the ball. That's what Ronald Blair did, uh, I believe, against the, uh, against Russell Wilson on the play where he messed up his, uh, his knee. And the Niners tried that in this game as well. They tried both. And I, honestly, my, my least favorite way of defending the zone read on a quarterback that is quick like Kyler Murray is to have that defensive end squeeze down because Kyler Murray is yeah. going to beat him to the edge every time. And so I think forcing the quarterback to make a decision by sending the defensive end crashing towards the mesh point and then saying, OK, I'm, I'm going to force you to keep the ball and then I'm going to put another athletic defender in space against a quarterback. That's probably my preferred way of defending it. But the Niners tried all three, you know, kind of exchanging a linebacker, exchanging a safety and also having the defensive end squeeze down. And they just had a couple of lapses where the defensive end went down but didn't have someone exchange the gap or you know, it just didn't seem like they were super tight on that point, and they knew they were going to get it. And, of course, Kyler Murray, who is a run threat, this year he's got more yards than Tevin Coleman, uh, was able to, to gash them a couple of times. And so you're absolutely right. I don't think they're going to have to worry about that too much with Aaron Rodgers, but they do have a couple of quarterbacks that are mobile 
coming up. Uh, and so I think that it's definitely an emphasis point for Robert Sala coming forward. Yeah, we're going to see the Greg Roman scheme turned against us. It's it's not going to be pretty. Yeah, I think coming into the the game, the Niners had allowed just thirty percent conversion rate on third ta- on third down, and the the Cardinals were way above that. But you get to the second half, and all of a sudden, the defense begins to rally. They allow just ten points in the second half, three of which were on that Garoppolo interception. I mean, the defense really did clamp down. And and when you think of second half adjustments, you know, I was on Ed Smith's podcast uh, or not his podcast, his radio show. Uh, for a Phoenix radio station. And he's like, you know, do you think that Shanahan and Sala have second half adjustments? Are you happy with that? And I was like, uh, yeah, I do. I think we're okay. Uh, and, and that's absolutely what happened in this game because the defense clamped down and all of a sudden now it's a ball game. Yeah, I agree. I mean, even, even Sala has, you know, I think the adjustments started coming more in the second quarter by the second half, you know, for the offense, Shanahan, I don't, don't really know what's going on there, but, you know, starting in the second drive, you can see run, run, pass, run, run, pass. Mm-hmm. And then they finally get the scoring drive going and things kind of turn around. But you're exactly right with the the second half adjustments. It's just they came out and it looked like just a much different game plan than what they had going in. And I'm not sure what, you know, what the reasoning was or whatever, but it just seemed like everything finally started to click by the third quarter for them. Yeah, the, the 49ers game winning chance, the probability they'd win the game was just at 31.4% in the fourth quarter when Eric Armstead gets the sack up the middle. Um, and that sack dropped the Cardinals to a fourth and 16, and it forced them into a punt from inside their 20-yard line. Uh, and so all of a sudden, the game begins to flip, uh, and and things are looking good for the 49ers. I think overall, on offense, the Arizona Cardinals are going to give the Niners fits for some time. I think they're just a good matchup for the 49ers. Kyler Murray avoids turnover-worthy plays. He is able to hit a couple of really big plays with some frequency. He threw a, an absolute money throw. Uh, to, I think, Kirk on that crosser uh, on what looked like basically Y cross. And, yeah, I think it's what it was. Yeah, and and I mean, if if the Cardinals get a true vertical threat and and maybe another pass rusher, they could really be something because both of the games where the Niners defense gave up a positive DVOA, in other words, the only two D- offenses that have made the 49ers defense play below average have been the Arizona Cardinals. You know, I was thinking about that today, too, before we came on, and it really seemed like the Cardinals have given them the most fits this year, even more than the Seahawks did. I'm not sure if anyone else thinks that or, you know, or whatever, but it's just it was really weird to have that pop in my head a little bit ago. And then you mentioned it. So I wonder, you know, we're probably not the only ones that thought of that, but that's just what it seems like. It is a completely original thought, Rich. It was originated here. It was germinated just between us two right now, never uttered before. No, I, I do think, you know, I think that styles make fights, you know, is, is a common saying that you have in boxing. And, and I think for some reason, the Cardinals just match up well against the Niners. And and uh, you know, I don't buy into the whole like historical thing where it's like, you know, oh, this team is 180, uh, you know, at wins and five losses so you know now 15 years away from whatever it's like all those like super long historical records i don't really pay too much attention to but over the last three years in the the shanahan regime regime the cardinals have played that team tough uh and unfortunately i think at least on offense it looks like it's going to continue but when you get to the niners offense you get to the jimmy garoppolo roller coaster talked about it a bit last week but boy it's real and it doesn't mean that it defines him or that it's that he's a bad quarterback but you definitely were on a ride with Jimmy Garoppolo in this game against the Cardinals. Yeah, I think you just have to take it for what it is right now. I think this is just what he is. He is a guy, you know, it's, I hate to 
beat a dead horse, but he's he's bouncing back from the ACL, you know, just like we thought he would. And that's really what his setback was. Um, he didn't this, the year that I, I firmly believe the year that he's having this year was the year that he was going to have last year or something similar to it. So he is essentially a year behind in all that. So you can see each week, you know, I, I think things get a little bit better and a little bit easier for him. Um, I didn't go back and watch the first interception, but I, I thought I had heard that he had gotten hit when he threw it. So that might have affected that. The second one was just the Garoppolo signature brain fart that he has at least once a game. So I kind of just write that off, but I, I don't think he's any worse for it. I just, I think this is what he is right now. And I think the more time and the more reps that he gets, I think he's just going to look a little bit more comfortable each week. Yeah. I mean, flat out the run game had zero success in, in this game and, and Garoppolo had a career day, both games against the Cardinals. Garoppolo has had to put the team on his shoulders and absolutely carry them. The Cardinals were stacking the box and absolutely daring the 49ers to throw. And so they did. I mean, Shanahan even said in his post-game press conference that he specifically abandoned the run. He moved away from the run. And, and the 424 yards that Garoppolo threw were the highest of his career. But what I thought was interesting was that most of his yards weren't through the air. 281 of the 49ers receiving yards came after the catch. That's the most in a single game for any NFL team since 2014. Guess how many passes Garoppolo threw that traveled more than 20 yards through the air? I'm going to guess one or two. Uh, the answer is one. That's exactly right. It is one whole <laughs> pass that traveled more than 20 yards through the air. And so, I mean, really, a lot of this game was on Jimmy Garoppolo's <clears throat> arm, but it was also married with Shanahan's play calling. Um, and, and there were a couple throws that... that Garoppolo made that you're like holy hell one that was even disallowed it was that uh that flag route to Emmanuel Sanders in the red zone that got called back because of an illegal shift formation I mean there yeah. are things that Garoppolo did in this game where you're like yup that's my quarterback and then like you said he had a brain fart and, and that seems to happen every now and again especially when it comes to underneath defenders I think overall he's not a bad quarterback he's a good quarterback and it's those brain farts that prevent him from being a great quarterback yeah, someone was saying the other day, and I, I don't want to use, I can't remember who it is. I don't want to get it wrong, but they were saying that they just don't, they think Jameis, or they think Jimmy G is Jameis Winston with a better record. And no, hard disagree. I just, I think I, I tweet, I quote tweeted it and said, there's just no way, no way in hell that they're nine and one right now with Mullins, Bethard, or Hoyer. Just no way. Like, even, totally if, even if you think that he is you know, marginally average or just average at best, he still makes those three or four throws a game that you need that the other guys just couldn't make. And so that does set you apart in the NFL from a lot of quarterbacks, I believe. I don't think that the style that stylistically, I, I can see how someone would get there. I could see how they look at some of the bonehead throws that he makes because they are really, really bonehead throws. I mean, that interception that he threw in the red zone, that he had no business throwing it to uh, or trying to throw it to Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, it, it's a stick concept. He's looking at Kendrick Bourne, and he comes off of that, rightfully so, because Kendrick Bourne's covered. And and he comes off to Emmanuel Sanders, and he just completely misses that underneath linebacker. And it's not like the Cardinals were playing anything super complex. They really weren't. But you <clears throat> No, know, they were just spot dropping, I think. Yeah, absolutely. They were playing, you know, country zone, which doesn't even <laughs> sound threatening, right? It's like country right. zone. <laughs> but 
but you you've got th- this this team and it's like oh you've got this this player and yes those decisions are there but they're not to the level of Jameis Winston you're not going to see the the super heavy turnover worthy throws you're also not going to see a lot of really big like oh my god throws where that that kind of big throw percent or big time throw percentage is going to be super high I think that his correlate really this year is Derek Carr Derek Carr is another kind of like quasi safe quarterback that doesn't have a huge depth of target, but is still able to put some drives together, win games, make a couple of really good throws, um, and sometimes puts the ball in harm's way. Something if you're looking for a comp, it's probably going to be Derek Carr. Right. And you're not going to see Jimmy eating a W either. Yeah, I'm by and large. Luckily, the defense has bailed him out a couple of times. But I mean, that, that game winning throw effectively to Jeff Wilson was absolutely amazing. Um, you know, I don't know that you're that was not a a difficult throw because of the the depth of target, but it was a difficult throw just because of what was happening around him. That's his processing. That's his release. Uh, and he put it on him, man. Uh, and it was a good throw. And I'm glad Jeff Wilson put on his uh, his Nick Bosa gloves, caught the ball and, and rumbled into the end zone. Yeah, I, you totally didn't. I, I don't think anybody got the uh, the Jameis Winston joke there. No, I didn't. What was the joke? Explain it to uh, me. Eat the eat the W. Oh yes, I forget. He's there are so many things that Jameis has done that I just forget between the crab legs and the Uber and the oh, eat the yeah. W. I mean, I can only keep track of so many jokes uh, when it comes to Jameis. Don't think I remember the Uber, but oh yeah, he like uh, he groped an Uber driver. Um, it was oh, that's right. That, not that, that, a, that's right. Not a good look from a dude. No. Um, but I think the last thing that really jumped out at me in this game was that Shanahan was absolutely dialed in for the second half when it came to play calling. I mean, you look at the opening drive and, and I mean, this is a team that, and this is an offense that was really, really held in check for just about the entire first half. And then he comes out and on that opening drive in the second half, man, he hits real hard with the play action. And even without a successful run game, it really works. You've got the first play, which is a mesh play to Tevin Coleman. Uh, and and this is where Garoppolo really does shine because he gets some pressure, but he takes a step back in the pocket, darts the ball to Coleman, gets him on the run. Coleman ends up end up running down the sideline for uh, a pretty big gain. And then you think to yourself, and that's a man beater, right? He knows that Arizona is coming out in man, and so he goes straight to a man beater. But then the very next play he calls, he's like, you know what? They're probably going to switch back to zone, and that's exactly what Arizona did. And so you've got a zone beater with a flood concept off to the sideline catches the Cardinals in cover three. You've got a three-level stretch. It's easy money for Garoppolo off play action. He gets another long completion out to, I think, Emmanuel Sanders. And then later on in the red zone, you've got a fullback screen that really, really messes with man coverage rules because you've got Juice who looks like he's going to stay in a block. So linebacker's like, dude, staying in a block, I'm going to rush the quarterback. It's a green dog blitz. And then eventually Juice pops out and the guy who's covering him is literally spinning in a circle going like, oh man, that's my dude. And, and now you've got Juice down inside the five-yard line. And then you've got the super mesh in the red zone where, again, another man beater. You've got a lot of people crossing one side. One guy goes to the other side. I mean, it was just play after play after play where he was hitting him with the left and right. And he was really, really dialed it in the second half. And it's just like those, those, those plays, those moments, Shannon has them often. You just look at it and you're like, yeah, I, I know that this offense sometimes looks like it can struggle. But in Shanahan, I trust, man. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So a couple of things on those two bigger plays with the the first play to Tevin Coleman. He if Jimmy doesn't make that move, that just quick step back, I think he's just going to get planted and he just it's just like it came second nature to him just take a step back and rip it and he did and it was couldn't have been prettier. 
and Tevin Coleman just, I think he made one guy miss and then he got up the sideline for a huge gain. And then on that screen to juice, this is something we don't see a lot of teams do, but Shanahan in this play action portion of the play pulls Tomlinson like on a, like a power or a counter run actually, because he takes a counter step um, with the running back action there. And that really, like you were saying, with combined with everything else on that play, just really messed everybody up. You got defenders spread out all over the field. Nobody knows what's going on by the time, you know, Juice catches it. And, you know, they, they brought him down, but my God, it's just the play calling and the design of these plays is just absolutely phenomenal. Just incredible. Yeah, I mean, it really pulled that offense out of the rut that they were in. And, and it eventually, I mean, they scored at that point 17 and answered points. And they were up 17 to 16. And and yeah, I mean, they definitely got punched in the mouth to begin this game. And they were coming off a very emotional loss against Seattle. And and this is the team that just keeps finding ways to win. And, and, you know, the turnover thing didn't happen until a little later in the game uh, for the Niners getting actually a positive turnover. But this is a game where they were also losing the turnover battle, but they were still able to stay in this game. And and, you know, good teams will find ways ultimately to beat bad teams. And I don't think the Arizona Cardinals are going to be too bad for too much longer, but at least right now there is a definite talent disparity and the Niners were able to exploit it and they were able to ride that to a win. Absolutely. All right. So let's get to player of the game. Cause for me, I think the story coming out of this is that we may actually have a wide receiver that can catch the ball. Uh, and that's one Mr. Debo Samuel. He is the player of the game for me. He is uh, basically one of only two rookies to have eight or more catches and over 100 yards, of course, that of the rookie wide receiver is going to be Jerry Rice. And that doesn't mean that Debo Samuel is the second coming of Jerry Rice. But it does mean that maybe he is one of the wide receivers that Shanahan's actually hit on of the multiple wide receivers that he's drafted. Uh, because he is everything that was advertised and it was coming out of South Carolina. And it's really, really good to see him kind of grow into his own game. And now he's officially the leader for rookies in yardage this year in the NFL. Yeah, I would have to give him player of the game, too. Um, the last three games or so, three or four games, he's really made a name for himself. He had that nice, long touchdown run against the Panthers. <clears throat> and then with Seahawks, he had over 100 yards. This game, he had over 100 yards. Still like to get him the, end, the ball in the end zone a couple more times. But he is a guy that uh, I wrote about him right after the draft when they, when they picked him and he his tape is really fun to watch. If you get a chance to do it, just, you can see the things that South Carolina did with him. Shanahan is kind of doing with him, but they've really unlocked a little bit more of his potential. Whereas I think the, the Gamecocks really used him in um, kind of more of a, a slot role. He ran a lot of inside slants and things like that, or, you know, crossers over the middle or whatever. And, he, that's how he picked up a lot of his yards, and he picked up a lot of his yards on that tap pass fly, that little play where the quarterback pushes the ball forward and only counts as a pass because of the, the ball goes forward. He would have been a 1,000-yard receiver in college otherwise if they had just thrown those passes downfield to him. And he's really – Shanahan's really unlocked the potential he has for the, the route tree in that offense. Um, he caught that long corner route, which was also, I think, on a mesh play. He just – Garoppolo picked the corner because it's the only thing he had time for. And he came up with that amazing contested catch that he, I think he later exited the game on, but he came back anyways. But he, he might not be the second coming of Jerry Rice, but he 
looks like he might be the second coming of Anquan Bolden. I don't know. I, I you know I think that's a that's a, a good comp. I think like Steve Smith, Go Bolden, it, like in that kind of mold, he's got to work on his hands a little bit more. He still lets too many balls get into his body. Yeah. But but by and large, I think he definitely is the wide receiver that fills in that Pierre Garcon role that we know that Shanahan really likes to employ as one of his wide receivers. So I hope he keeps continuing to get opportunities because the, the Niners are going to need someone to step up at pass catcher. It, it doesn't look like George Kittle uh, is going to be back next week. The, while the Niners haven't said exactly what's wrong with them, it sounds like a bone bruise, which takes a few weeks to, to come back from. Apparently, it's really, really painful and it just requires a whole lot of rest. So the Niners are going to need some kind of offensive weapon. Dude, Emmanuel Sanders, that guy does not look like he is moving well. He was, they showed a, a game shot of him during the game, and he was standing kind of awkwardly, awkwardly talking to someone. Just the way he was standing looked like he was in a lot of pain. Yeah, I can't imagine that playing with, with rib cartilage injuries where your profession is to basically catch the ball and then get hit uh, it yeah. is well. I mean, it is is gonna go well for you. I, I don't know how many weeks or if any it takes to to recover from that, but man, he is definitely playing at a reduced version of Emmanuel Sanders. And and what sucks, what really really sucks, is that reduced quality Emmanuel Sanders is still probably one of the top two pass catchers that the 49ers have right now. Oh, hands down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seventy five percent of him is better than a hundred percent of some of the other guys. Oh my god, it's it's really really bad. But um. And they didn't practice today either. I don't. Kittle didn't practice. No, no one really practiced. Practice. They're all game Braided time decisions. Either. Yeah, they're, they're all game time decisions, effectively. But if I had my money, I would say that Sanders plays and that Brita doesn't play and that Kittle does not play either. So I think that's pro it's probably going to be a repeat of last week uh, against Green Bay. But we'll get to Green Bay here in a minute before we get to the rundown, which is the midweek stories that are of note uh, and or interesting this week. And really, I think... The only one that's new this week is that Pro Bowl voting is officially open. Uh, so, Rich, I ask you, who are the most deserving 49ers for your Pro Bowl vote, presuming you're not just going to go and vote single-party ticket uh, and just punch all the 49ers you can find and then submit it? Vote a thousand times. Please do, because, you know, the Pro Bowl <laughs> is such an, uh, an accurate indication of the Yeah, you can skill. rig the vote yeah. easily. <laughs> I, I thought I remembered at one point years and years ago Someone on the web zone, uh, the 49ers web zone, a, a fan site that uh, I used to I used to write for and, and moderate way back in the day. Um, I thought someone rigged like a bot to auto vote for like a FedEx player or we did something <laughs> like that where it was. I mean, basically, that's it was a lot of people on the Internet with little time and lots of fandom. Um, but, but I think number one, obviously, is, is Nick Bosa. And I think he's the top vote getter for all defenders right now, isn't he? I haven't. To be honest, I haven't looked, but he I'd vote for him on defense easily. Yeah, I think Bosa. And then uh, K1 Williams for me is another easy, uh, easy person to go ahead and vote for. And and then then it gets a little dicey for me. Uh, I don't know if I would vote Richard Sherman in based on necessarily what he's done on the field. I vote him in just because I want that dude to get paid. Like, I think that he I, yeah. I love it when players get paid and I know that he's got some incentives tied to Pro Bowl and All Pro. So I'm like, yeah, dude, give him the money. It's not my money. It's Jed's money. He's sitting on a pile of Levi's money. Uh, it's, it's not even in the shade, just like the rest of Levi's. Just pay it. Just give it to Sherman. What about Fred Warner? I don't think he is uh, a Pro Bowl level yet. I think he's been good, and I think he's definitely improved his ability to force turnovers, but I, I, don't, I wouldn't put him in the Pro Bowl quite yet. 
Um, if indeed, you know, it's, it's a matter of skill. What I'm really going to do is go vote for all the Niners because why the hell not? But uh, I don't think that if it is a true measure of the best linebackers in the game right now, that he's up there quite yet. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. I, I mean, I like the way he's playing this year. I think he's playing really well. Um, I just, I, I don't get it. I can't get excited about Pro Bowl voting. Oh, man. Come on. Get but hyped. You don't, you I sound. I would probably go. I, I'd vote. I, you know, I try to vote every year and pick the big names. So I probably will vote, but. I like voting for all the special teamers that I know nothing about. It's great. It's just I'm not like, voting for the punter. What? <laughs> I, yeah, definitely maybe, not. Can we write someone. in names? Maybe I'll write them in. <laughs> just write in your own name. That'll be great. Um, yeah, I think in terms of midweek stories, that's about it. There's not a whole hell of a lot that's happened in Ninerland. And so, I mean, other than getting to the Green Bay game, because it's, it's going to be a doozy, man. It's going to be a biggie. But before we get to the Green Bay game, let's take just a brief break to hear from our sponsors. Green Bay Packers, lots of history between the Niners and the Packers. And of course, this game is going to be super duper big. It's uh, what I'm calling the bye 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 game because uh, it really is a game that has a huge impact on the first round bye or really getting a bye week at all in the playoffs. There are a lot of teams grouped at the top of the NFC and the 49ers are hitting the gauntlet at this point. Right now, the Niners have a 50% chance at the bye. This is per football outsiders and just a 32% chance at the top seed. If you look at 538's ELO rankings, they've got the Niners at 56% to win the divisions, but 44% to win a first round bye. So 538 allows you to tinker with the outcomes. It's a really, really cool little like, oh, well, if they win this, what happens to their chances? And if the Niners win, then you see their probability of winning the division up to 65% and 58% to get a first round bye. So this is kind of a big deal when it comes to playoff seeding, because of course the Packers are... Uh, they only have two losses, and if the Niners can get a really critical win here in the NFC, it really sets them up positively for a first-round bye, and it keeps some distance between them and the Seattle Seahawks. God, that's crazy, the way the NFC is top-heavy this year with eight-win teams and seven-win teams. It's pretty wild. I mean, everyone's just basically feasting on like the Miamis of the world uh, or the Bengals of the world. But, but ulti- I mean, it really is. These three games, if you're going to lose one, you kind of want to lose the one to the Ravens. Because if, you're, if you lose against New Orleans or you lose against Green Bay, I mean, things dip quite a bit. Um, but, yeah. you know, I think when you, when, and there's a bit of a Spider-Man game here with the Green Bay Packers, right? Because you've got LaFleur, who's the head coach, and he did, uh, you know, he's part of that Shanahan tree. He and Robert Sala are best friends. Uh, you know, his younger brother is Shanahan's passing game coordinator. I mean, it is going to be, you see the offense, uh, some of the offensive components from Shanahan's offense with the Green Bay Packers. And and on defense, you've got Mike Pettin. And of course, I think this is one of the best defenses that Shanahan's going to see all year. And so I'm really going to be interested to see how he begins to attack this defense. Probably similar to how they did last year with a lot of intermediate stuff. That's what, I, that's what I would guess. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty talented all across the board, right? They've got Kenny Clark on the interior. They've got the Smiths, which are going to wreak some havoc in Preston and Zadarius. And, and Justin School is going to be playing again at the left tackle spot. He did not have a great, gay, a great dick game against Chandler Jones. And then in the secondary, you've got Jerry Alexander, Tremont Williams, Adrian Amos. This is, it's going to be hard to get yardage. And so if you're going to if you're going to get those intermediate routes, I think it's going to be it's going to have to be a lot of play action. It's going to have to be. Uh, 
what do you think is going to be the over under for like combined play action between Green Bay and the Niners? Do you think it's going to be like above forty percent? Probably just just based on what I remember from last year. I just I remember a lot of the big chunk plays that the 49ers were able to get were off play action. So, and the Packers do run a lot, even with the RPO stuff. You know, they're going to hit and try to hit them with probably a lot of RPO quick slants and things like that. The Rogers still likes to throw that little stupid slant flat play. It's something I guess they never discarded out of McCarthy's playbook. So, I mean, even that you're going to get a lot of that. So yeah, that's probably going to, you're probably going to see quite a bit of an uptick, you know, maybe probably between both teams and the 49ers are running a little bit more RPO right now too. So yeah, their RPOs have been fairly successful, but, but you look at the defenses and green Bay's defense kind of taking a step back from their success early this year. But Mike Pettin is an aggressive play caller on defense. They have been a little susceptible to the big play. They've given up 38 plays of at least 20 yards and nine running plays of at least 15 yards through the first 10 games. But you look at the defense the Niners have played, and and I don't know that they've played a defense as talented as the, the Packers. You might look at Carolina um, and, and then the Rams, of course. But this is definitely going to be a test for that defense and seeing how Shanahan attacks him is going to be good. I think you're probably right. It's going to be in the intermediate levels, but I, I don't know that this is going to be a game where the Niners are going to be able to run, uh, even though I think they will try as they do every single week. Yeah, the Packers do like to put a lot of guys up around the line of scrimmage. I was looking at some of the Chiefs game earlier today, and even with the three-four front, you know, you, you're still susceptible to getting at least five or six guys up there. And we know lately that the 49ers have struggled with five and six man fronts, uh, mainly because probably, or probably because not having Kittle, but I I hope we're not seeing a situation now where these five and six man fronts are going to dictate a lot of the running game stuff, kind of like what's happening to the Rams, but they just, they really haven't come up with a, a viable solution to counter it. And against the three, four front, it's going to be a little bit, a little bit different because you can do a little bit different things with those, um, those edge defenders there. Yeah. I mean, they're coming off a bye. They've had extra week to prepare and you look at what Patton likes to do. And I, I do think you're going to see a lot of congestion in the box. And I think he's going to send a lot of blitzers and I think he's going to be comfortable <clears throat> playing man behind those pressure packages because that's exactly what Arizona did. And, and it worked to a large degree to kind of contain that defense or to contain the Niners offense. And, and it, of course, you ask Jimmy Garoppolo to begin to throw. And when you're throwing up passes against that Cardinals defense, you're going to find a couple of spots to do that. But when you're throwing against Tremon Williams and Jerry Alexander, I think it's no longer just where's Patrick Peterson uh, and throw at Buda Baker. Now it's, oh, man, the, the spots are going to be smaller. Their coverage is going to be tighter. And I, I think that if I'm Mike Pettin, I'm like, yeah, I can play man coverage with a hobbled Emmanuel Sanders uh, and Debo Samuel, who also similarly hobbled. And I'm not sure if he's actually going to be someone that my, that my de- defensive backs have to worry about too much. Beyond that, you're not concerned about Ross Dwelly. Um, he did have two touchdowns, but you know, he, he's, not, he's certainly no George Kittle. So I think that's, if you're a defense, that's exactly how you attack the Niners. And I'm not sure that Green Bay should do anything different. I don't disagree. All right, so switching to the offensive side of the ball for the the Packers, I think the the hubbub so far this year has been whether or not Aaron Rodgers is actually good. Because Ben Baldwin, uh, he wrote an article titled No Longer Elite, What the Numbers Tell Us About Aaron Rodgers. And basically, the premise of the article is that Aaron Rodgers is based on efficiency metrics. 
no longer elite and that he's taken quite a bit of a dip since like 2015, 2016. It wasn't just McCarthy. Basically, Rodgers has lost a step. Ben really points to a decline through the lens of a couple of statistics. One is expected points added. This is an efficiency metric that tells you how much a play increases the likelihood of the next score. And Rodgers EPA per play has dropped since 2015 to put him firmly in the 9 to 15 range of quarterbacks and his completion percentage above expectation, which basically charts what you would expect to complete for the distance of a throw and then measures the delta of your completion percentage to that throw uh, is negative in 2019, meaning that meaning that Aaron Rodgers is completing a fewer percentage of passes than you would expect based on his depth of target. So what do you think about this whole is Rodgers any good uh, debate? I have my own theories on that, but it, well, now's the time to share seemed, them, my friend. Yeah, I don't. I, well, I, I don't want to. I don't want to be rude, but it just seems Seattle, this like Seahawks Twitter, Seahawks fans in general, have a real beef with anybody not being an MVP candidate other than Russell Wilson. I I don't really I don't really buy all the Aaron Rodgers has you know, decline stuff, the decline narrative. I mean, has he played good? No, but has he bailed out McCarthy in spots over the last several years? Yeah. I I don't think that gets covered enough, but I, I don't think he's declined. You can, you watch him now, just even on, you know, if you're even just watching on Sundays and not going back and watching the film during the week, he's, you, you're still seeing him make just some ridiculous throws every game. And I think every time he makes a ridiculous throw, I, I kind of get a jab in there about, you know, well, what does the EPA say about that throw? But I I don't really buy a lot of the the narrative around it. And I and I know like Seattle Twitter in general, they definitely like, you know, their advanced metrics with all that stuff and how it says Russell Wilson is better. And he and is that's not saying Russell Wilson doesn't play isn't playing well or isn't an MVP candidate. I think he's probably the clear cut favorite right now, but just to kind of the shade thrown at Aaron Rodgers, I think, is just, I think it's undeserved. Yeah, you know, I do think that Aaron Rodgers has probably taken a little step back, but that's probably because his highs were so damn high in like 14, 15, and, and in yeah. that stretch of peak Aaron Rodgers. It's like, yeah, you're, you're bound to regress when you're playing as well as just about any quarterback in NFL history has ever played in his damn life. And, and I do think that Aaron Rodgers is still very good. <laughs> Because he can still hurt you in a couple of very real ways, even if he's not hurting you at the consistency at which he was hurting you in 2014 and 2015. I mean, you look at his big time throw percentage, which is a metric that Pro Football Focus puts out, which basically tells you the percentage of throws that are really difficult NFL throws. And, and his is at 5.74%, which is more than double what Jimmy Garoppolo has done so far this year. He's at 2.7%. I mean, a 5, 6%. Uh, five or six percent big time throw percentage is really really good and and that's where you're going to see like quarterbacks that are good at completing those high difficulty nfl type throws i'm talking about those deep corner routes or those those balls that have to get over the linebackers but be in front of the safety those are the types of things that rogers can absolutely still hurt you with and and the niners see, have seen this firsthand when you know rogers led them on that game winning drive uh, just la- what that was just last year. Jesus, that was just yeah. last year. And and the Niners have seen what that's like. And even if you jump out to a big lead, it, it, you don't necessarily mean that you're going to hold them down for that much longer. So 
I don't think that Aaron Rodgers is as elite as he was, but he's still very good and he can still hurt you. And and that's something the Niners have to account for because now they have a more creative play caller. And and while it's an offense that the Niners may be more familiar with, the the offense for the Green Bay Packers is definitely beginning to click. Yeah, they haven't had to rely on him as much this year, but it, it, just even when you turn the TV on, you know, he's still you still see him make the the key throw here and there more than we see other quarterbacks make. They're going to lean heavily on their running backs and their running game, but to say that he's you know, maybe he I'll agree there that he probably has declined a little bit, but no, I don't think no one's taken as big of a beating aside from a few guys other than him either. I mean, he, you know, some years he was the league leader with being sacked with 50 plus sacks. So it's got to, got to have taken its toll by now on him. But uh, I think the rumors of his decline are greatly exaggerated. Now, do you think the most, Niners, in most respects, do you think the Niners defense is going to have a little easier time defending the, the now Rogers led offense because of their experience defending an offense very similar in, in Shanahan's offense because LaFleur of course of course comes from that same system and, and you look at some of the plays that you see on tape that have been successful for the Packers and I mean they look like they're ripped straight out of the the 49ers playbook and, and he leans heavy now more on play action you've got those deep intermediate shots which of course Rodgers is able to complete I think a bit more than Garoppolo for various reasons but do you think that gives the defense a little bit more of an advantage because they've been facing a defense like this for so long? I think so. I think it'll be similar to probably what we see in the Rams games, you know, with how the the Packers run out their personnel sets and their personnel groupings or whatever. But plus Rodgers isn't going to run all over him like Wilson and Murray do, can do. Um, I don't, I, I do think they have an easier time. I, you know, last year they, I mean, they nearly they nearly walked out of there with a win last year. But, you know, the Packers have got better on defense and they got a little bit better on offense. So who knows? But, you know, the 49ers are also better on uh, on defense now, too. So I'm interested to see how, you know, like every week it's kind of becoming a cliche now. But I'm interested to see how Bosa and a couple of these other guys are going to do against that Packers line. Yeah, I think that if you're going to see a weakness in that Packers line, it's going to be along the interior because their tackles are pretty good. Uh, you've yeah. got Bakhtiari, which is, of course, whom Bosa is probably going to line up uh, for most of the game. And and if anything, you're going to see Bakhtiari plus some help. I'll be interested to see if the Packers are going to let Bakhtiari go one on one with Bosa because everyone so far has been basically chipping Bosa, double teaming Bosa, putting a tight end and a tackle on Bosa. It's basically don't let Bosa beat you. And what's been great is that D Ford has been able to come around the other side and basically say, cool, you're going to single me up. Well, that's too bad. Uh, well, good for, for D Ford sacks, but bad for that 49 for the offense that they're facing now with D Ford injured, he's got a hamstring issue and I don't think that he's going to play. That means that it tilts the, the game a little bit more towards the, the offensive line for the green Bay Packers. And so when you look at the interior of that Packers offensive line, though, you look at Lindsley, you look at Turner, they're not as good at pass blocking as Bakhtiari or Brian Balaga are. And so I think maybe this is a DeForest Buckner game where he starts to to shine a bit more because of the weakness of the interior of that Packers line. I think you're probably right. I also wonder if they're going to run Solomon Thomas out there a little more in the interior this game. 
Yeah, I think they'll probably play him there. Um, and then, of course, you've got Demontre Moore, who's going to get an uptick in sacks. And I mean, Demontre Moore, the 54th man, can't say how much I, I love the fact that he forced the fumble at the end of that Cardinals game. You know, he definitely came in and contributed. He's someone who I thought should have made the roster right off the bat. But it's good to see him in a Niner uniform, and it's good to see him contributing. He's going to get a lot of snaps against the Packers as well, and hopefully he's got a similar impact. Yeah, I thought I thought he was going to make it too. I I really liked watching him play in the AAF. Um, I thought he played really well for San Diego when he was down there for um, at least in that league. And then he came up, and the 49ers signed him. And I didn't think there was any way that he wasn't going to make it. I didn't think uh, I didn't think Ronald Blair was going to make it. I thought he was going to make it over him, but that wasn't the case, obviously. But you know, it was nice to get a guy back who had some familiarity, came back last week, and contributed right away. So. I think they'll be fine, not as fine as you would be with D Ford on that side, but who knows? You know, he's he's not a not a bad player by any means. I, I think, but you know, I think Ford's presence will be missed, but more and then whoever else they slot over there, I think, will be fine. Now, ultimately, I think this game comes down to a very important part of the field, and that's the red zone. Right now, the Green Bay Packers are second in the NFL at scoring TDs in the red zone. And the 49ers are the best at preventing touchdowns in the red zone. They only allow touchdowns on four of 10 red zone trips. They allow 40% of the time. So if the Packers are able to get down into the red zone, it will be interesting to see whether or not they're going to be able to score or whether or not the defense will be able to stop them. Because the Packers will hit you in multiple ways. They've got a couple of running backs that are very good. They like to throw to their running backs. Uh, and Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones... Um, you know, we'll see one of them maybe drop a football, hopefully, um, because that's been one of their bugaboos when when they kind of hit that seam route as a running back and then the ball hits him in the hands. And, and so I think, you know, Jamal Williams is, is the ball dropper there, but they can hit you in multiple ways in that red zone. And I think if the Niners defense can step up in the red zone, they've got a much better chance if they hold them the field goals. Yeah, one thing the Packers like to do is that RPO game inside the red zone, and that could be a problem, especially with the way that the 49ers defense is susceptible to crashing on the run. So we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm interested to see how they're going to counter that um, because in addition to giving it to Jones and then they will try to hit that little quick flat route or the slant behind it down inside the, you know, the 15 or 10 yard line. And it's been pretty, pretty effective for the Packers this year. All right. So ultimately, what's your prediction then? I think the the line is Niners by three. They're at home, which basically means it is effectively a pick 'em, and the over under is forty six point five. So, what do you think is going to be the the outcome of the game here at Levi's? I think just because it's at home and the home crowd has been just night and day difference this year, I think the Forty ers are going to probably feed off that a little bit. I. Th- I'm going to say 27-24, 49ers. I think it's going to be close. Probably if it goes if it's the over, it's not going to be much more than that. But you got to figure Rodgers is good for a few big plays. The 49ers are big or they're good for a few big plays. So I think that's going to those big plays are really what's going to keep both teams in it and it's going to be close and I do think the 49ers are going to come away with this one, but barely. Yeah, I think that this is the game where the injuries finally catch up to the 49ers. I do think not having offensive weapons is going to hurt them against a defense like the Packers. I think not having a fully healthy Emmanuel Sanders is going to hurt them. 
and and I think those weapons are going to make it difficult for Garoppolo to do do as much as he did against the Cardinals. And, and I think this offense is just good enough to be able to score points against this defense. Yeah, I do think this is one of those games where the loss of Quan Alexander is going to reign uh, is going to be a bit more uh, prevalent just because of what he can do in the intermediate areas of the field. And and I think that that's where if you're Matt Lafleur, you begin to attack. Drake Greenlaw's played well in relief. But you look at Devontae Adams, and I think he's going to get a couple of receptions his way. And I think those running backs attacking the linebackers is where you're going to see a bit of a tilt towards the Packers. So ultimately, I think the Packers actually win this game. And I think that it's going to be a tough loss for the 49ers going into the next game against Baltimore. But it's, you know, it's one of those things where I think that's what's going to happen. But I am hoping every minute of every day uh, that I'm wrong. I hope you're wrong, too. Yeah, because, I mean, this is a big game. It's a really big game. This is a, a big game for playoff implications. It, it's the Packers who are more of a rival, it feels like, than the Rams for some oddball reason. Um, like, it just doesn't feel like the Rams are as much of a rival. The Cardinals are becoming kind of a rival. Seattle is, of course, the rival. And and the Packers just feel like more of a rivalry at this point than than the Rams even do. So it's going to be hopefully a good game. And, and I hope the Niners win. But I think it's going to be really tough, man. Those injuries... It, considering that that Green Bay doesn't have a ton of injuries, they're pretty healthy and they're coming off the bye. And I think it's going to be tough. Yeah, I think they just got Devontae Adams back, you know, just a couple weeks ago, I think. But, you know, th- these primetime games used to used to feel good about them, never used to to worry about it, you know, in, the, in years past. And then just in the last several years, it's just man, these games could go either way, even though the team is pretty good this year. It just doesn't feel doesn't feel as I don't feel as confident about it even you know even this year so I I hope I'm wrong I hope they win but well I mean I did pick them to win but I just hope I'm wrong about (laughs) the the atmosphere itself and you know maybe I should feel good about it I don't know but it just but you know what I'm saying it just it like in the in the Harbaugh years we knew that going into a primetime game it was we were going to just just dominate anybody even this year just doesn't feel like that yeah, well, I do think it's going to be one thing I will say about the atmosphere at Levi's the last few weeks is it has been markedly different these last couple of weeks at Levi's. And I think this is going to be another game that's going to be really, really rocking. I mean, it got flexed a Sunday night. It's going to be a primetime game. I think Levi's is going to bring it. I think they're going to bring that energy. And I really do hope that the Niners do, too. Uh, so, Rich, thanks for coming on and, and talking ball, man. It was good to have you on. Uh, tell the folks where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, thanks for having me. You can find me on Twitter at Rich J Madrid, and then twice a week, or I try to at least twice a week get a, a film piece article up on Niners Nation and footballzebras.com if you're into officiating and learning about the rules and that sort of thing. And you can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. <laughs>